0: Forward slash free. Hello travellers, I'm Jo Francis Penn, and in this episode I'm talking to Catherine Leamy about travelling light. We geek out about the details of backpacks and clothing brands, as well as what kinds of toiletries can save you space and weight. But we also talk about travelling light as an attitude and how solo travel can change our perspective on life and give us confidence as well as broaden our horizons. Now, as I record this, I am about to put my backpack on and head off for another pilgrimage. This time, I'm doing the St Cuthbert's Way from Melrose to Lindisfarne, Holy Island in Northumberland, which I wrote about in Day of the Vikings, but I have never visited. I ordered Dr Bronner's All-in-One Bar after talking to Catherine, which you'll hear about in the interview, so I'm putting her tips into action already. I will be writing about the St Cuthbert's Way at some point, as well as doing a solo podcast episode about it. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy the interview with Catherine. Catherine Leamy is the Five Kilo Traveller, a freelance travel writer and blogger based in New Zealand. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you very much for having me, Joanna. Oh, I'm excited to talk about this topic. So let's start with uh, why the five kilo traveler in the first place? Why are you so interested in packing light?
1: Well, back in 2017, I went to Croatia and Italy by myself for four weeks, and I decided that I needed to be independent with my bag. I wanted to be able to carry it myself. I didn't want to have to rely on anyone else because a, didn't have a travel companion to help me. So I really wanted to just have a bag that I could manage myself. And it was also about keeping things safe and secure as well. So that was really the, the big reason as to why to carry a light bag. And it turned out that when I was in the planning, I ended up with a bag that was just over five kilos. So I got dubbed the five kilo traveler
0: but it, it's so interesting to me so you said there about being independent and safe and secure but I've done a lot of independent traveling I literally could would struggle to have a bag that small and I I am really interested in this topic which is why I wanted to talk to you uh, especially as I plan for my sort of bigger walks where carrying all this stuff is uh, it, it feels important to me, but I think yep. you have a, a better attitude. So let's get into some of your thoughts and tips on packing light. So let's start with the the, the bag itself. So I,
1: the bag was a 24 litre bag. So it's really not much bigger than a child's school bag, really. And I wanted it to be, I wanted it to have a good carrying capacity. So it carries uh, up to about eight kilos worth of gear. It's got a good harness system and it's got a hip belt, which a hip belt's not um, compulsory, but for me, I was going to be doing some walking between accommodation, a bit like, you know, when you're walking the Camino. And so I needed it to be really ergonomically designed for my back and keep my back sort of safe, I guess. One of the things with the bag is that people say, do you go for the bag first or do you or do you find what you want to put in it and then pick the bag? And one of the risks with that is that if you pick a bag uh, that is say, you know, 30 or 40 kilos, 30 or 40 litres, you'll always pack to the capacity of the bag. So by buying a bag that was 24 litres, I knew I was restricting myself to how much I could actually pack.
0: Mm. My husband is a total bag geek. He will spend you know, hours watching YouTube videos and all these different things. Do, do you have a particular brand uh, that you like? I mean, I always have Osprey backpacks. I wondered if you had a brand you liked. So my current
1: bag, the bag that I've used for a long time was my Vord bag, I think, which is a German brand. And it's just incredibly rugged. I've had it for five years now and it's really robust and it's just been absolutely brilliant for what I've been
0: using, for needing it for. Mm, Yeah. I mean, my little Osprey I've had, I think for 15 years now, and I just keep you know, changing out the clips. In my old backpacking days, when I carried a 20 kilo bag,
1: my backpack was a carry more and uh, which the irony of the name isn't (laughs) lost on me. (laughs) They're
0: encouraging us to carry more. Yes, that's that's absolutely right. And then I wondered about your view on the pack cover, because I really like packs with an integrated pack cover, you know, rain cover that goes in the little pocket uh, and some people buy them separately. But I think that the separate ones can be heavier and it can be very easily lost. It's something that I care about in, in a pack.
1: Yep. So, I I mean, the Vaud one that I've got does come with a pack cover. I don't know if it's always necessary. It depends whether you a, are planning on walking in the rain. I mean, other people put just make sure that they've got a plastic bag or some cover within the bag so that the contents stay dry, even if the bag gets wet. But I, the board has a rain cover that actually it's still attached to the bag, just with a little clip. So you can, if you don't want it, you can always just remove it. But it's actually got a clip on it so that um, you can just pull it right over the bag, and it just tucks into a pocket underneath. It's it's really handy.
0: I mean, I guess we should even question the backpack situation. I mean, here in Europe, we do a lot of weekend trips away, and people will have those little roly rolly yeah. things that you can put, put up Wheelies. easily into the luggage space or whatever. Do you ever go with that kind of rolly wheel thing or do you always use a pack?
1: I used to. I used to have a the small rolly suitcase, but I've had enough experience of the wheels breaking and uh, <laughs> then becomes a suitcase <laughs> that you've got to carry. But actually... For my back, it's actually a lot easier to carry the weight on my back where it's coming through my shoulders and held on my hips. And I think that's a lot better designed for carrying than turning around and pulling a bag along and I just personally I just find it a lot easier I'm a lot more mobile and it's very hands free travel when you've got a bag on your back because you can you can reach out you can hold on a train and um, everything is you're t- I, th- I liken myself to a bit like a turtle I've got everything on my back but I can still reach out and grab or use my phone or read maps or whatever it is I've got both hands free.
0: Yeah I'm totally with you on that and in fact I I get really happy when I put my backpack on because I feel like this is me now I'm off (laughs) and and when I left England in the year 2000 and I flew to Australia and I didn't well I did come back occasionally but I basically left for 11 years all I took was a backpack and that was everything I took and uh, it's so funny to think that you can you don't need that much stuff you can just walk out with your things also on the roly suitcase I would say living here in Bath and a lot of places in Europe you have cobblestones or very uneven ground so yes. your arm just dies if you have a rolly <laughs> suitcase <laughs> <laughs> the vibration yeah exactly I mean I've just even from my house down to the train station which is about half an hour walk it's like I tried it once I was like never again <laughs> But and I a lot get. of people don't think about that because maybe especially in the US or Australia for example you don't walk to the train station you probably get a cab or whatever so people don't think about that but in Europe we very much walk a lot of places you you would have found that
1: yeah exactly and there's also things like the footpaths are not always the cleanest of places either and then you so you've dragged your bag along on the ground and then you go into a hotel and people throw their bags on the bed and I'm like oh <laughs>
0: Oh, it's so funny you say that. My husband has a rule, no bags on the bed, because that is exactly how you pick up bed bugs or any kind of bugs, because people have done that. So we never ever put our bags on the bed. Absolutely I totally agree. <laughs> okay so that's that's a lot on backpacks it's it's so funny how people can geek out on backpacks but it, <laughs> once you go down the rabbit hole it, it, you can get pretty obsessed. We have a lot of backpacks in our house because we get obsessed about them but let's get into the actual stuff. I mean how do you manage the amount of I guess even physical clothing you have let alone toiletries? I think first of all, before I do
1: any packing is I think about where I'm going and what activities I plan to do. And and then I base my packing around that. And I think, is there stuff that I can hire when I get over there or, or borrow off someone and thinking about the season and the places that I'm going to, the country, the cultural stuff sort of get me thinking about where I'm going and what I actually need Of course, before the pandemic, I was planning um, on going to walk the Camino in Spain and you know, I was sort of looking at the things that I needed and really, I didn't really need outfits for anything nice in the evening. I just needed to be smart and casual. I didn't need high heels, not that I wear them much anyway, but there were certain things that I just wasn't going to need. And I think the more realistic you are about what you need, the more you will leave at home. So some people, it's very easy to pack for every eventuality, but you really don't need that Arctic rated jacket when you're going to somewhere in summer. There is that whole just-in-case packing uh, that's risky, but really it's just about thinking about where you're going and what you're doing and the cultural rules of the place, whether you need to cover up, and
0: then start looking at your wardrobe and what you're going to take. But do you buy specifically light clothing? So, this is something I've been thinking about with the Camino. I usually wear, for hiking, I just wear cotton t shirts because I prefer the fabric. But with the amount of washing, that one has to do and they don't dry particularly fast. And so what you need really is the more quicker dry material, which is what I've been thinking about with that. So do you go for the the lighter material, the quicker dry in, in order to wash things more often? So
1: I, I'm a huge fan of Merino wool, or smart wool products, which actually are fine during summer because there are Fabrics like there's the icebreaker brand in New Zealand that has the uh, a cool light fabric. So it's a merino wool, but it's nice and cool for summer. Um, and they're quick drying and they're also odor resisting as well. So you can actually wear it and then air it at night. You don't need to wash it. So you could hang it on the end of the bed kind of thing or in a wardrobe and the next morning it's really got no odor at all so there's that kind of thing but there's the other thing is even if you did want to wash them uh, every night they are quick drying they'd be dry in six hours kind of thing and you can easily wear it uh, the next day and I think You only need one T-shirt to wear, like when you're doing the Camino, one T-shirt to wear and one T-shirt to wear at night kind of thing when you're not walking. So I guess one of the big tricks with packing light is making
0: sure that you're prepared to do some hand washing. And so do you take the little washing line with you? You know, the sort of elastic ones. I've got one.
1: Yeah, I have used those in the past, but now I generally find somewhere because I'm really only drying usually a t shirt, some underwear, and maybe a pair of shorts. I think we get a bit hooked on hand washing or washing things all the time and they don't need washing. They can be spot cleaned and things like that. And like merino socks, for instance, you could wash, you don't have to wash them every day as long as they're well aired. But I usually find things, drape things over, like whether it's a chair or, I mean, I don't know, I haven't been on the Camino, so it might not be so easy on the hostels, but I'd probably just take some pegs and hang them on a clothesline that's around or hang them on next to a window kind of thing.
0: I've seen people sort of peg them or pin them to the back of their pack. You know, uh, yesterday's socks, you, you wear a pair and wash a pair type of thing so that as you're hiking along it dries in the sun so so when were you planning on doing the Camino because I I am still planning on doing it in April 2022
1: That that was I was meeting my sister
0: over there and we were doing it in May of last year Oh, okay, right. Well, I'm kind of hoping that the, the pandemic will reduce the numbers of people, uh, but that I still can do it because it's pretty popular now, I think. <laughs> exactly. It's very popular. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. It's interesting you're doing that. So, what about, I want to ask about toiletries because as women, I've, I mean, I don't even wear that much makeup, but I still, I genuinely have an eyebrow pencil. <laughs> That's my one thing that it's very handy. But what? how do you do toiletries? I mean, the camino, for example, suntan cream is one of those things that is really important. And from New Zealand, Australia, you, you yeah. have to carry certain things for health. And then there's yes. other things like moisturizer. And how, how do you manage those bits and bobs?
1: So I, I start getting a little bit scientific and six weeks to two months out from going somewhere, I'll actually measure how much, this is very scientific, you'll laugh. <laughs> but I, I will measure how much a teaspoon of moisturiser will last me, and so say, for instance, if a five mil teaspoon of moisturiser lasts me ten days, then I can say that well, for for thirty days, I only need fifteen mils of moisturiser. So, <laughs> so, so I really That's brilliant. Do- I really get down to the science of it. And so then I just collect little bottles and containers and medicine bottles from antibiotics and things like that. And I've just got, I've got hundreds of them. <laughs> but yeah, it's just reducing things right down. I think there's the whole liquid amount that you can carry on a carry-on bag and it's like a hundred mils. But when you think about a hundred mils of moisturizer or even a hundred mils of shampoo, that's going to last absolutely forever. But the other thing with toiletries is I if I can take a solid, I will take a solid over a liquid. So my shampoo and conditioner is a solid bar. My deodorant is a crystal. So they take up less space and also less weight as well than, than liquids do. And when I went to, um, oh gosh, I went to Croatia and Italy and I had a little jar of purple shampoo but mm-hmm. it's spilt and it went through everything <laughs> and it's purple shampoo is just like <laughs> tar it goes everywhere so I now have a purple shampoo bar and yeah. uh, it's absolutely perfect.
0: So well now I have to ask so, a solid bar and a crystal what are these brands? Well the the shampoo bar that I use
1: is a New Zealand brand called Etique so ET H-I-Q-U-E. So they do shampoo bars and body bars and they do like moisturizers and all that kind of thing. I can't remember what the brand is for my crystal, but I get it from a herbal shop and it's just a small crystal. Looks like it's the shape of a deodorant, but it's just not liquid. And I actually smash it so
0: that I only take a little portion of it. Wow. You're incredible. <laughs> I'm so, so impressed with that. Cause I, I mean, it's so funny even mentioning shampoo and conditioner. I always feel like I can use whatever I can use soap in my hair, whatever, but I like to have conditioner. If you have some nice conditioner with you, then you feel quite good afterwards. Yeah. You know, your hair is nice, <laughs> but I'd never even thought to, to get a bar. I think that's, I think here we have, um, Lush. They oh, might yes, do, do bars. Mm. Yep. They
1: do, they do. One of the other things that I took was a Dr. Bonner's bar. Uh, That was on my first trip. And the good thing with a Dr. Bonner's all-in-one bar is that you could use it to wash your clothes as a a body wash for cleaning and also as a shampoo bar as well. So that was actually really helpful. And and also I could clean my shoes with it and all that kind of stuff. So it was really versatile for cleaning um, everything. But the other thing as well is that I guess if you're staying in hotels there are things that you don't need to actually carry because the hotels will provide them. So you don't need to worry about maybe shampoo uh, and soap. But uh, I was in hostels and different places, so I needed to have my backup.
0: Yes, I think, and generally I'm the same. When I'm backpacking and things, that's when you you need more stuff almost. You need more stuff, but less stuff. As you say, you don't yeah. necessarily... To take a nice dress to wear out to a restaurant, but you need more things like like washing. But in terms of any other tips or or what do people get wrong? Like, is there a way to think about what not to do? I
1: don't ever think of it as doing anything wrong. I think it's just a a bit of a learning curve for for everyone. We all. A learning. Uh, one thing that I think is risky is you got you you get your bag and you've got everything in it. And then you start, you have this last minute panic that you're not going to have enough. And so you end up shoving a whole <laughs> lot of stuff in that you didn't need. You've thought through what you actually needed and you have planned for it. But then at the last minute you go, oh, I better just take this or oh, I better just take that. And before you know it, you've crammed quite a few extra things in there that by the end of the trip either have never seen the light of day or you never, you actually found that you didn't really need them. But one of the the tips that I stick with is making sure that everything mixes and matches so that um, my base color is blue. So I basically make sure that everything goes with, just you can mix it up and make things look a lot better or just different. The other thing is making sure that things layer. So wearing a a long sleeve under a short sleeve and then a jacket. So you get your warmth through the extra layers. So you can on some days find that you're pretty much wearing your whole wardrobe.
0: Yeah, I find... um... The the winter, because I do more hiking in this autumn and the colder weather, and I've ended up shoving an extra fleece in at the last moment, only to find that I then have a small fleece, a, a base fleece and another fleece and then this extra fleece. And I'm like, I do yeah. not need this much. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, layering is a good it's a good tip. Yeah. And the other thing
1: is scarves and jewelry, you know, taking a couple of scarves and a couple of pieces of jewelry can dress things up and change things and have things looking different. But I think the other thing is about not just about your, your what you bring with your, um, in your bag, but actually your attitude. And actually people worry about that oh, my God, everyone's going to see that I'm wearing the same things. But actually, when you're on the road, particularly when you're solo, uh, people aren't seeing you all day wearing the same thing. So to them, it's a new outfit. To everyone that you meet, what you're wearing is a new outfit. So it's just to you that, that you've worn it probably for the last three days in a
0: row. (laughs) um that's exactly right and of course you can all you can always buy things like I ended up buying a a pilgrim t-shirt at Canterbury Cathedral which I thought was pretty cool and so that's the thing almost when you get to a place you can buy it like buying a t-shirt when you're backpacking it's not that big a deal even if you're on a budget right yeah yeah exactly another thing is actually
1: You know, if you're planning on buying a T-shirt, actually leave a T-shirt at home knowing that you're actually going to be buying something when you get over there. So maybe not taking your full quota of T-shirts, but having that as one of your souvenirs that you're going to buy.
0: The other thing when I did the Australia trip is that you can get things sent to a post office in Mm, most countries or some kind of uh, drop box. There are these services now and I I got my dad, I packed up a parcel with my sort of work clothes for when I got a job and got him to send that over. So you can ask a friend or someone to send a packet if you're, say, hiking for a bit and then you're going to a city, you can send something. Have you ever done that?
1: No, well, I've, I, the only thing I've thought about doing is more sending stuff back. So, uh, when I was in Amalfi, I was looking at the eyeing up the ceramics and thinking, oh, I'd really like some more ceramics. And I ended up just buying a, a plate and a couple of, um, smaller items. And so I ended up carrying those. But I think if I'd, decided to buy anything more it was just so easy to send it back for them and and the shops over there were so obliging and we can send your dinner set back to New Zealand you know they're very very accommodating
0: Oh, yeah. And in fact, I, one of my, I don't have many possessions, but I do have a Turkish kilim that I (laughs) carried around Turkey for a long time. And I wish I had just sent that back rather than (laughs) carrying it because they're not, it's not a light object. But um, no, I think that's right. So sending stuff to and from. So then you did mention a bit about attitude. Uh, I feel like traveling light can be an attitude as well in terms of maybe emotional baggage. Any tips on staying, I guess, staying light?
1: Yeah, I think um certainly right at the very beginning of when I started traveling light it was purely about security and managing my bag but then yeah the analogy to life certainly came true where you just realize that your bag is less cluttered and you're just you're thinking about less things and And it certainly is. I mean, we've got sayings, you know, lighten up and you've got to lighten your load and um, all that kind of thing around sort of emotional stuff and our mental health. And it certainly, it does cross over the packing light. When you think about what you carry in in your head, And just keeping that whole minimal thinking and that mindfulness, sort of what we allow, that clutter that we allow in our mind as well. So yeah, no, there's certainly a crossover from packing and
0: thinking. I think so too. Uh, Just on books, I take a Kindle now and I have my phone in terms of electronics, you need charging cables. But I also carry a journal, which does add weight. Do you have books or do you do ebooks or stuff like that? I do e-books usually have um either
1: aud- audible books or e-books like Kindle which I just use on my phone and for a diary I was actually pulled out my diaries today and from years ago when I had um I had this fascination with the liberty diaries I thought they were beautiful so I used to carry them whenever I went traveling and now I just um use my phone as my diary but of course I can't stick all those photos and tickets and you know, all those things those little uh, things that you pick up
0: along the way used to go in my diary and I do miss that oh no uh, definitely a hardback journal is is high on my list for necessary uh so I want to just ask you on your blog you talk about how solo travel saved your life so tell us about that trip and why it made such a difference
1: Well, so I went on my solo trip when I was 48 and I wasn't really into this whole midlife thing. I didn't, hadn't read up on it or anything like that and didn't really know anything about it. But I just, I guess I was just after a bit of a challenge and a bit of an adventure and I just wanted to do something for me, you know, bringing up teenagers and working and everything like that. I, I just felt I needed a bit of me time. So for me, the trip was actually like a real reboot. I developed a confidence that I'd forgotten about. And I realized that I can look after myself and I can do things and I can talk to people, complete strangers. And it, it really was just a huge, huge confidence boost. The, a reboot is a good word because it just it reset my thinking. And it's then had sort of reverberations into my whole life. I mean, I think prior to doing that trip, there's no way I would have set up a website or being interviewed on podcasts or anything. You know, I've done some incredible things since. And I really do think that that trip was was the reboot I needed.
0: Mm. I feel like a lot of people, especially, well, especially women are afraid to travel solo. So what are your tips on that or, or thoughts? Um, I, I think, first of all, if you're going to do it, I, I do recommend
1: doing, say, a mini trip somewhere local or somewhere to a, a nearby city or somewhere that you, um, you're familiar with you've got the familiar language familiar currency and just get used to that fact that you don't have to ask anyone else what they want to do or where they want to eat or if they want to eat or whether short, you know can I have dessert now or can I have two lots of dessert <laughs> get used to that thing of uh, that freedom of not having to consult with people So start with a smaller trip locally. And then the other things I suggest to people is follow your safety rules that you follow at home. So I don't generally go walking out at night by myself. So I don't do that when I'm alone, traveling alone. I also like to mix up solo travel with catching up with people. So whether that's meeting someone I know, or it might be even doing day trips or walking tour, it gives you a chance to mingle. But I actually found that, I mean, I'm a bit of an introvert, but I still can make a conversation out of someone making me a coffee or a, um, so the barista or the pizza maker or anyone I can talk to most people. So yeah, it's break up solo travel with some planned episodes of catching up with people. The other tip, I guess, is one of the biggest fears is dining out is often the big fear of solo travelers. And so I used to often, and this is just what I do for me, uh, I would often eat earlier when there weren't big crowds in restaurants. So I didn't feel quite so conspicuous eating by myself. And then I'd also eat my main meal during the day. So at lunchtime, which was often cheaper as well. And then at night, I would get some kind of takeaway. I'd go to a delicatessen and get a selection of food and then go and sit by the beach and eat my meal down there. So there's different ways of, um, doing things to help you with some of those bits that are a bit uncomfortable. And then, of course, probably one of my last tips is, and this is my thing, because some people wouldn't worry about this. But I do like to keep in touch with my family back home. So I like to let my husband know that where I am and or that I've got somewhere and just it's a courtesy to him. And it's a safety thing that someone knows where you are and where you last were. But I am a bit of a spreadsheet queen fanatic. So he could actually look at my spreadsheet and pretty much know (laughs) within the hour where I was.
0: Yeah. And well, we now have between me and my husband, you can share your devices. So you can, and it's a bit stalkerish, but you can actually see where the other one yes, is. Exactly. And we, quite, we use that quite a lot. actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's some apps that you can follow people. I haven't actually done that, but I think I would do that next time. I don't think they were so available five
0: years ago. No, absolutely not. I mean, you can even get a little air tags you could put on your bag, you know, which we've all had lost luggage at some point. Mm. I mean, there are useful things like that. But I wanted to add to your solo travel thing as a woman traveling alone. I actually think staying in a hostel or more like shared accommodation, you can easily meet other people. And in fact, I've always found women travel alone all over the world. And I've met, I remember a a coach trip in Western Australia, one of these sort of 24 hour coach trips and pretty much everyone on the coach was a solo female traveler. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I mean, you can meet other people and that doesn't mean you have to hang out with them for ages, but you can certainly go out for dinner with other people you meet along the way so yeah being actually traveling alone as a woman if you stay in a hotel you're less likely to meet other people than you are in a cheaper form of accommodation I guess. That's right.
1: And, and the other thing is being a solo traveler, people are a lot more uh, willing to talk to you because you you don't have a companion. So they want to talk to someone who's by themselves. And so in hostels, whether you're cooking meals or whether you're sitting in the lounge, people are, feel very safe coming up to a, a solo person and saying, hi, where are you from? And, and the conversations are so easy flowing. And I just met some incredible people, young and older and it's just fantastic. Um, travelers, solo travelers and group travelers and the hostel. I mean, I really
0: enjoy hostels. I really do. No, definitely. And just another tip. I've never had a problem eating alone. I I actually like eating alone, but one of the things is people bothering you. So when I wasn't (laughs) married, I always wore a wedding ring. So if if you're not married or if you're divorced or whatever state of life you're in, wearing a wedding ring as a woman is a good idea. And also headphones. So the old style headphones, not the wireless ones. <laughs> but yeah, the, ones yeah, the, yeah, the ones with the ones you can see, yeah, ones you can see. If you have headphones in, people are less like, and you can always. Do, they don't have to be attached to anything. They can just go into your pocket, but they tend to put yes. people off. So if you want some private time, that that can be the best way. <laughs> oh, exactly. I never found that I got spoken to,
1: and you know, unnecessarily. Like I never felt that there was any intrusion much, even when I was eating by myself. I mean, there were some people that came up and talked to me because often they would hear my accent and think, oh, you know, where's she from? And just couldn't help themselves but come and talk to me because, you know, you're not interrupting someone else's conversation. You're It's just one person. And they probably think, oh, of course they'd like to be spoken to. But it actually didn't really, in reality, happen all that much, I found.
0: Yeah, I think this was probably more in my 20s when I was... Um... (laughs) younger and more attractive and also traveling around the Middle East (laughs) on my own (laughs) oh yes yeah yeah so it depends what culture you're in really and how old you are probably I'm also like you in my late 40s now so possibly I would get I will get less approached (laughs) in bars (laughs) there are benefits to being an older woman for well, sure. Anyway, this is the Books and Travel show. So what are some of your recommended uh, travel books?
1: Well, the first one is called Grandma Gatewood's Walk. And it's about a woman in the 1950s who, whose name is Emma Gatewood. And she is a woman from Ohio, I think. And she walks the Appalachian Trail. She's the first woman to ever do it. She's 67 years old and she's got 11 children and 23 grandchildren. And she goes off and walks, decides that she's going for a walk. And uh, it doesn't tell a family what she's doing. And anyway, heads off on this walk to the Appalachian Trail, which is like two and a half thousand miles. And the guy's written it, he's done the, 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 the biography, and it is it's just gorgeous. It really is. People are always asking her, why is she doing it? And she goes, I don't know. I just wanted an adventure, or I just wanted to walk, or I just wanted to be alone. <laughs> it's really delightful. But she comes from a very sad background where her husband was um, physically abusive to her. And so she's got an incredible strength. And, and she's actually, one thing that really drew me to her is that they considered her, consider her to be the first ultra light hiker because she literally carried five kilos on the appalachian trail and she pretty much had a change of clothes some food wore the same sneakers i think she got them repaired or you know changed them along the trail but it was just one pair of shoes um, change of clothing and food and she had a, a shower cushion that she used in case it started raining while she was sleeping on the ground <laughs> it's- incredible story and we have all this sort of ultra light
0: material and you know, I know
1: <laughs> yeah exactly but even then it's really interesting because the book is a, is a real social history thing as well because it talks about the American society in 1955 and how the the cars were coming in and people were getting lazy and not walking god knows what they think now but you know it's a really interesting book about American society at the time and how women were viewed. And even back then, the backpackers had their, their big backpacks and everything like that. So even they thought she was a bit mad that she was didn't have everything. But she's actually walked the Appalachian Trail three times. So she's pretty phenomenal. And then the next book that I've read was by Rita Golden Gilman, and it's a, it's called Tales of a Female Nomad. And When she was 48, um, her marriage broke up and she's an anthropologist, I think, and she decided to go and live in a village in Mexico and just be a part of a village. And basically that was the start of the rest of her life spent being a nomad around the world. And so she's written about um, really just really beautiful stories about different cultures and different countries and what she saw and what she experienced and probably from an anthropologist point of view um, just the study of people and but not trying not to interfere as well it's really interesting and covers South America and the Galapagos and Southeast Asia um, all over the place it, it's really interesting read so the last one, I'm in the middle of it at the moment, and there is a bit of a theme here, but I am quite quite enjoying anything about solo travel. Um, it's by um a journalist, Stephanie Rosenblum, um American woman. And I think she was sent on a, on a uh journalist job to do a story on traveling alone. And so she starts off in Paris and then she goes to Istanbul and Florence and It's an interesting read because it's not really, I don't think it's a novel as such. She does talk a lot about her experience traveling alone, but it's almost a little bit like a very long essay with academic writings and philosophy and all that kind of thing around what it's like to be alone. She's done a lot of research into alone time and it's really fascinating. And as a person who's traveled by themselves, Um, Of course, I'm reading it or listening to it and just nodding along going, yep, 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 that's that's so true. It's so true. So I don't know what it would be like for someone who hasn't traveled by themselves, whether they would just find it interesting or amusing but as a solo traveler she really does if if you want to know what solo travel is like she really does hit the nail on the head and she talks about things like eating food when you're by yourself like you've got no distractions you've got no one to talk to so you're really focusing on the food in front of you and you're really savoring the flavors and things like that it's um yeah, she really hits the
0: nail on the head. So that's Alone Time by Stephanie Rosenbloom. Mm, fantastic. Well, this has been such a, a fun chat and I know you have a lot more on your website. So tell us, where can people find you and everything you do online? Right, well, my website is
1: the5kilotraveller.com. It's the number five and traveller has two L's. And my Instagram is at the5kilotraveller and my Facebook is the 5 Kilo traveler. So that's where people can find me. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Catherine. That was great. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun talking. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page and if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpencom forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.